0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Reconomy Podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I'm Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, and here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American. Hi, Mark. Hi, Odetta. Well, you've probably heard quite a bit about the housing supply shortage, and if you haven't heard about the shortage, you may at least have noticed that house prices around you seem to be going higher and higher. Now, the main reason for that is a decade-long imbalance between housing supply and demand. So today, we'll be talking about some of the headwinds to building more homes. Let's just call them the four L's. Labor, land, lumber, and laws. And we'll start with the first, labor. Mark, what's the issue? Why can't we get more construction workers? Do we have enough construction workers, I guess, is the first question.
1: I mean, we can't find enough construction workers because we actually need to build a lot more homes even than we even more than we have historically done in normal and good times. And that actually has to do with the fact that we've had a long decade of um, increased demand for not just homes ownership, but shelter in general. All of the demographic demand of millennials over the last decade forming new households has driven up the demand not only for single family homes for people to own, but lots and lots of rental units. In fact, broadly written, demand for shelter has increased dramatically Um, at the same time as as you point out, the amount of construction being restricted by labor um, underperforming even normal levels. And so you think of it from sort of a deficit and debt perspective, right, the debt is the total amount of accumulated, uh, accumulated deficits. Uh, for the last decade, we've been running shortage deficits of not building enough, even to keep up with the new demand for housing, add all those deficits up, deficits up, and that creates a significant debt. So, you know, the run rate of a million homes a year, that's just not enough. It's just not enough.
0: So we need to build the deficit is what you're saying.
1: We'll and build our way out like
0: of the deficit. Build our way out death. of the yes. deficit. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like this will be an ongoing issue because as we know, millennials uniform households and baby boomers are living longer than ever. And so we'll continue to form households. And it seems that new home building really needs to keep up the pace. And labor has been one of the major headwinds to building more homes. You need more construction workers in order to build more homes. And as we recently found, if you look at the ratio of housing starts, so that's breaking ground on homes relative to construction employment, you know, Prior to the pandemic, that was about 1.4 starts per worker. So between the Great Recession and prior to the pandemic. But before the Great Recession, that hovered at around two starts per worker. So pretty low in comparison.
1: Wait, you're talking about the P word. Productivity. (laughs) Right. So fancy ratios aside, the question we're trying to figure out here is, You know, how many homes, um, you know, can be built by a certain amount of workers? Or, yeah, remember my old 80s references in the last podcast? Remember the Tootsie Roll commercial? How many licks does it take to get to the bottom of a Tootsie Roll? It's something like that. Is that how many workers do we need to build one house? That's about productivity. And, hey, guess what? Has that really changed in the last... 50 years. Think back to, you know, the middle of the 20th century. How did we build a home? We brought a bunch of supplies to a site, a bunch of labor, put the stuff up. That's kind of the same way it is today. In fact, where have the big enhancements been in terms of productivity? Well, there's things like the nail gun. That probably helps to some degree, but you still need a human to know where to point it. And so we have this challenge of, Uh, basically a lack of any significant productivity growth over the last sort of half century in the housing sector. So it's among different industries when you're mixing capital and labor to somehow come up with how you produce your goods. This is still an extremely labor intensive um, industry space. It requires a lot of labor to build a house and that hasn't changed.
0: And that's a, that's a great point, Mark. It does not lend itself well to automation and outsourcing. So the only way to build more homes is to bring more people to the job, more hammers, more homes,
1: as Wait, we like to I gotta, say. I got to ask a question You because you mentioned outsourcing. You mean we can't outsource home building? Oh, that's right. Because it's I need the home built here, not somewhere else. Exactly. And that's incredibly
0: unique to the housing market that you can't do that. And so certainly the way to increase home building, bring more people to work. And unfortunately, in the aftermath of the Great Recession, the construction industry lost a big number of workers. So during the recession, construction industry lost about one and a half million jobs. If you look at the pre-recession peak to the trough, it's over well over two million jobs. And so it's been very difficult to find workers to come back to the construction industry. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So one of the reasons is that millennials, The people that are entering the workforce, well, they're just not quite as interested in the construction industry. They want jobs that are less seasonal, less physical, and more in an office environment. And that's proving to be a challenge to the construction industry because, again, they need to attract millennials to work in this field. Um, The other reason is an aging workforce. A lot of those people that lost their jobs in the Great Recession, they retired, they were older, and they haven't been able to retain or get those workers back. So it's been very difficult to attract new workers to this industry.
1: Well, where would we typically have gotten those workers in times past?
0: Well, typically in the past, I think right now there's there's a deep focus on getting that four year degree, moving away from the trades and moving into college and office environments. And that's unfortunately lent itself to difficulty finding construction workers.
1: Well, this is effectively the same dynamic that's in play more broadly across the across the economy in the sense that we're moving to being a more service sector oriented economy and uh, different levels of sort of training to do those kinds of office jobs relative to manufacturing and construction jobs. As we pointed out, you know, with manufacturing, there's the opportunity to outsource it to other places to find the labor here. You can't outsource it, so you have to bring the labor to you or back to my productivity comment, find a way to more efficiently utilize the labor that you have. And, you know, we had a little fun a few minutes ago with the idea that there had been no productivity enhancements, but now the pressure is on. And we do see, um, because of this stress of not being able to find the labor to bring to you, sort of the The industry itself says, well, I need to find ways to increase productivity. Maybe the reason we didn't see that much productivity growth was there was no sort of market pressure to make it happen until now. But modular homes, building components of them in factories and bringing them to the worksite, these are all things that are actively being experimented with today effectively to try and solve this problem of I have to increase the productivity of the labor because I can't simply add more labor. That's
0: a really great point. And I think eventually that will revolutionize the way that home building is done. But um, right now, we still need to put more people to work and a lot of different dynamics going into that. Yes.
1: Do you recall, or maybe you don't, does anybody recall the old Sears and Roebuck catalogs? And in fact, at the turn of the 20th century, not the 21st century, so we're talking circa 1900s, early 1900s, you could buy a home in the Sears and Roebuck catalog and they would build it modularly in a factory and bring it to you and then you had to assemble it yourself so in many ways it's the question is are we going back in time to the Sears and Roebuck catalog era you know these
0: trends do have a way of coming back around but this is another reference that went way over my head <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, And so clearly a lot of issues in attracting more labor at this time, but with the, with the longer run goal of, of being able to be more productive in the construction industry, hopefully through use of technology, but, and I'll just briefly mention this. It is quite important, but we won't spend a lot of time on it. There is the, 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 the issue of Migrant, migrant workers, that's something immigration policy certainly has a lot to um, do with the construction industry as well. A lot of immigrants that come to the U.S. work in the construction industry. And so that has a bearing on um, the the labor force in this industry.
1: That's not actually even uh, construction industry specific. In fact, um, migration has played a major role um, throughout uh, recent history in our economic productivity growth and our economic growth in general. In fact, the 80s and 90s, we had a lot of migration for all kinds of industries. And that's one of the ways in which we've been able to grow. Uh, Growing GDP is a function of putting more people to work wherever you get them from and putting each person more productively to work. You combine those two things in some way and that's how we get GDP growth.
0: That's a really great point because when you start to see women enter the workforce, you also see in the data a big boost in GDP growth productivity. And that's really a function of women entering the workforce in larger numbers than than ever before. And you can see that in the numbers. So that's a good point. Immigration is also incredibly important to overall GDP growth, not specifically just to the construction industry. So moving past the labor L, let's go in a little bit, touch on land. One what of land? the issues. There's
1: is- no land. I can't find any land. You
0: summed it up. <laughs> that that's basically the gist of it. There's there's a lack of of available lots, not just available lots, but a lack of affordable lots, um, and that's particularly acute in some of the most desirable locations. So let's think maybe San Francisco, maybe we think of Boston. Um, not a lot of places for builders to build, and that obviously results in increased lot prices and um, a, a headwind to to building more homes.
1: We have to be a little bit more specific here. There's plenty of land in the United States of America. The problem is it's too far away from where we want to work and play. Interestingly, maybe that's a changing dynamic given the pandemic over the last year. But what did uh, we do in the last half of the 20th century was basically expand suburbia outside of the urban core You know, think about all the big cities with all their inner and middle suburbs and areas like that. The GI Bill greatly expanded um, the, you know, the suburban urban landscape. Building was easy and inexpensive because there was plenty of land that was in within reasonable commuting distance um, throughout the 50s, 60s and 70s. In fact, most major city suburbs, you know, were built then. There was a big expansion feeding and serving baby boomers largely at the time. Now the challenge is either you infill develop which is expensive and costly or you build on the urban or exurban fringe but that's now in most big cities pretty far away exactly. which reduces its you know desirability as a as a potential building site because do you really want to do that hour and a half commute back into Washington DC maybe not unless you only have to do it two days a week so I think one of the dynamics that's in that might happen in uh, over the next year or so is that the attractiveness of what used to be considered unattractive buildable land on the exurban fringe might now begin to look attractive from a builder's perspective because of our work and commute patterns having changed more permanently post pandemic.
0: That's a great point. And I think that's also why housing tends to go hand in hand with the subject of transportation. Because if you want to build far further out from from the kind of urban core where the jobs are located, you really need to have a supportive transportation system to get people to and from the city. But I'll just build a
1: bigger road. Just make the road (laughs) bigger. Keep on widening it. Not a problem. Get the autonomous driving cars. Easily solved. Automate it. <laughs> Automate it. That's right. right.
0: Yes. So obviously lack of affordable lots, another headwind. And then we move into lumber, but more generally, this is rising material costs. We're focusing on lumber because there's been an increase in the cost of lumber since about the beginning of the pandemic. Um, it has risen dramatically over the course of kind of the last six to eight months, and that really threatens. Home builders' momentums. And so there was a recent NHB study that showed that the higher lumber prices added nearly $16,000 to the cost of a typical new single-family home and over $6,000 uh, for multifamily. And that was since about mid-April. So obviously, this is another kind of cost-prohibitive um, issue that builders are facing in the industry right now. But that's alongside rising material costs in other areas as well.
1: It's no surprise. walk past your local home being built and you know you clearly see that you know there's a lot of lumber there. There's also a lot of waste of that lumber. Yes. And again, as we talked earlier about the sort of the market driving the need to find productivity enhancements for labor, same thing here. If I can build the walls in a more efficient way with less waste, given the fact that my material costs are higher, I'm now incented more to do it in a different way and so again the idea of modular manufactured as a way to more efficiently use those expensive input resources uh, drives innovation and I think that will continue if, big if, if these uh, construction input costs remain high.
0: Absolutely. So there's a focus on efficiency as well. Efficiency productivity. And then the last of our, of our L's is actually laws. And what we're referring to here is regulatory burdens. And this is regulatory burdens imposed at all levels of government, so national, state, local, um, making it harder and more expensive for builders to build. Now. For those of you listening, you may have heard a little bit in this last year about Oregon. Oregon was one of the first states to pass legislation to eliminate exclusive single-family zoning. And this is because Oregon is a state that is suffering from a lack of supply. They need to build more homes, and one of the headwinds that they're facing are regulatory burdens in the way of zoning laws. And so this is something that we find Results in an increase in the final price of a home. Again, there was a study from the National Association of Builders, of Home Builders, that showed that government regulations accounted for over 24% of the final price of a new single family home. Wait. A little bit more difficult to address um, and likely needs to be done at the local level, but one of the biggest headwinds, I think, to building more homes.
1: Wait, not in my backyard? <laughs> no. The NIMBYs, the, the NIMBYs. The- well, and now, if we've if anyone has paid attention, there's actually yimbies, yes, in my backyard. Um, so, an interesting dynamic. But you actually put the put your finger on it. And it relates back to the accessibility of land too. Is where to build has become and the ability to build has become significantly more expensive, as driven by regulatory zoning, costs in general, and it varies very dramatically across the country. These are largely locally designed programs and locally implemented. And so actually, from a policy perspective, if we need to build more housing, it cannot be done really at the federal level. It has to be done at the local level because it's these regulatory and zoning restrictions that are making it more difficult to build, even though the demand is there, which is exacerbating our sort of shortage problem. Um, and one of the funniest things is when you look at neighborhoods and the degree or the the level of regulatory costs that are involved at the local market level it's correlated highly with income and home ownership the higher value the homes and the higher the home ownership rates the more costly are the regulatory burdens to build in those neighborhoods we like to say that the single largest special interest group in the United States is homeowners. Roughly two thirds of all Americans are a member of this group. Um, And it's homeowners that generally are very cautious about development happening in their neighborhoods because it facilitates change. And change, it's unclear often whether it's going to be good or bad. And so there's a lot of that protectionism of your most important asset Against the possibility of change in the form of development, which is really the root cause of something that will not persist in the short run, but will be a major theme um, in addressing a healthy housing market for years to come is how do we manage and balance all of these competing interests at the same time as providing enough shelter for all the people in this country who want it
0: just, you know, one of the basic uh, universal human rights, right? I mean, you, you have to have a place to live. It doesn't necessarily need to be home ownership, but you need a place to live, whether that's a multifamily development to rent or it's a single family home to buy, we need to be keeping pace with household formation. And this seems to be one of the biggest hurdles towards building more homes. Very much concentrated, in, and it's not uniform across the US. We, we do find when you look at some of these um, regulatory burdens, they seem to be concentrated in California, unsurprisingly. Um, um, kind of the, the East Coast, so you, you see in Massachusetts, and even in Florida, we find that um, higher kind of regulatory burdens, which are then passed on to the potential home buyer, um, these costs that that the builders incur in the process. Um, and that's it's not just zoning, right? There's, there's other costs incurred. There's permitting costs. There's the time it takes to get through the approval process, how long it takes for them to build. All of these things have a cost associated to it. And it's I, tough for them to build.
1: I feel like the old adage, time is money, right? Time is money. So you know, it can be done either directly through money or through time, but this ends up being the same thing, money. But this is a good these are good problems. I mean, we talked about all these issues, but these are good problems to have in the building industry because the challenge is tons of demand, a struggle to meet it with the supply. I'd much rather be in that position than where, The home construction sector was in the global financial crisis. The reason it contracted so much and the reason so much labor left the market was all of a sudden there was no demand, no demand anymore relative to the supply. We're in exactly the opposite situation. Our challenge is how do we meet the demand? And we like to say, build it and they will come.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to end. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also sign up for our blog at firstam.com economics. And if you can't wait for the next episode, please follow us on Twitter. It's at Odetta Kushi for me and at M Fleming Econ for Mark. Thank you. And until next time.
1: we hope you enjoyed this episode of the reconomy podcast from first american for even more economic content visit firstam.com economics this episode is copyright 2021 by first american financial corporation all rights reserved for more information visit us at firstam.com